Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Salim. I believe the word of God is truly the lamp unto our feet and a guiding light for our path. And a majority of the church neglects this guiding light because it's too difficult to comprehend. Well, God has given me a hunger to study the Bible and a passion to share it with you. My friends, if we don't understand the word, how can we apply it to our lives and actually live in obedience to Jesus? So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn the essentials of living a Christ-centered life. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Salim, week eight of this Revelation series. Uh, this week, we're focusing on the breaking of the seals in Revelation 6. It was last week that we were introduced uh, to this lamb who alone was worthy, the only one in existence who was able to open the scroll. The author and the executor of, of uh, the last will and testament of God the Father. And who is this lamb? Who alone is worthy? Well, it's Jesus. And it's been the last few weeks that we've identified a few things. Some things that we need to remind ourselves of this week before we jump into what's next in this journey through this book. We identified in chapters four and five that right now, the God of the universe is sitting on the throne in complete control. And that is ultimate reality, period. I mean, we might look at the physical reality in front of us and think that that is ultimate reality, but the truth is the throne room of God is the ultimate reality. And that should, it should shape the way we see. It should shape the way we think. It should shape the way we live and believe, not the other way around. We identified that the goal for all of creation is to worship this holy God who sits on this throne. That is our purpose. And all else should be absolutely secondary to that. I don't care what good things we're doing on this earth. They are secondary to the worship of this holy God who sits on that throne. We identified that there was a scroll that the uh, angel found no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was able to open it and read it. And if there was no one to open it, this meant that there was no hope. There meant, this meant that there was no vindication for God's people. But luckily for us, there was one. The one. The lamb who had been slaughtered, but now stood victorious over death and over hell and over Satan. It was Jesus. Jesus alone is worthy to open the scroll. And he opened the scroll. And how do we know this? Well, the word tells us, and today we're going to open up to Revelation six and we're going to read about this scroll and we're going to get a taste of what's in this scroll. And yes, we briefly spoke uh, last week about what was in this scroll, but this week we're going to take a closer look. So I just want to read Revelation six in its entirety to get a complete context here. Again, remember Jesus had just been handed this scroll, this last will and testament it's Jesus who holds the keys to the future and what's about to be unleashed on this earth and what's about to be unleashed and what has been unleashed is, is a terrifying picture for unbelievers. But for those of us in Christ, guys, we have nothing to fear. So let's read Revelation 6. The lamb breaks the first six seals. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. 
And then I heard one of the four living beings saying with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out with many battles to gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's wage, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. And when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being saying, Come. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar all the souls who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? Other translation says, Who on earth can stand? Wow. That is an absolutely spirit, that's spirit shaking. I mean, I, I'm, I'm over here, I have chills just reading that. And the question we ask is, what, what do we do with that? I mean, Revelation has been a book that has been taught as scary, as something to be avoided, as something that we can't ultimately understand. And after we read that, we can see why. But... We can't just stop and, and now put the book down. We, we've got to dig in here because this is so vitally important for the church. There is a reason that God gave us this letter. So let's keep being reminded that as John is receiving this revelation, Jesus is giving him a picture of ultimate reality to write down and to share with all of us who would believe. This goes for past, present, and future. And this is why the enemy doesn't want us to read this letter. He doesn't want us to understand that we must obey Jesus. He doesn't want us to understand, you know, why we, we should fix our eyes on this throne. He, he, he wants us to be deceived. And this letter is opening up a, a lot for us to understand. He wants us to think that what we see is ultimate reality. When in actuality, ultimate reality is, 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 is spiritual. It's what we can't see. It's the spiritual realm. And you've got to get this. Listen, listen clearly to me right now. Spiritual reality is ultimate reality. 
And it's more real than, than what you see right now in front of you. And I can't stress this enough for you to grasp. Because as I've walked through this book, that is what's been opened up for me. And I look at everything different. I look at people different. I look at my purpose different. I look at the Lord different. So that's why it's important. And so back to this scroll that Jesus opened. What was written in in this scroll? Well, the scroll contains the meaning of history. World history, your history, my history, our children's history, future children and grandchildren's history. It's the consummation of creation's intended purposes. This is what's in this scroll. This is what it's all about and how the the heavens are going to come down to earth and all things will be made new and the former things will pass away and there will be, there no longer will be tears. No longer will there be suffering. Everything is going to be reset the way God intended it for to be before sin fractured the cosmos. This is Revelation 21.4, that great promise that you and I as followers of Christ, we get to look forward to. But the part that we cannot bypass is what else is in the scroll. And I mentioned this last week, judgment, woes, lamentation. We just read it and it sounds terrible, doesn't it? I mean, you hear of these four horses and the riders, you hear of war and famine and disease and martyrdom, earthquakes, uh, the moon becoming like blood. I mean, you got people hiding in caves, wishing that boulders would fall on them, crying out for the mountains to fall on top of them. Guys, we ever get to a place where we're hiding in caves, crying out for, for boulders to fall on top of us. Guys, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in some deep trouble. I mean, this is how scary as heck. But let me just help you understand. Let me help calm your nerves. As I mentioned, this book is meant to encourage you and edify you, not to to paralyze you. So as the seals begin to open, we get the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And and let's be reminded that this passage cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Them being the early church. Remember, John wrote this to the seven churches. He wrote it to them but it was also written for us. We, we can't take this text. Listen, guys, we cannot take this text and make it mean something completely different than what these early readers that John wrote to would have read. Guys, it has the same meaning today that it did then. And let me also point out that Revelation doesn't say anything that hasn't already been said. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus was unpacking what was to come in the end times, and it completely mirrors what's in this passage. So what we should do is bookmark Matthew 24 so we can flip back and forth and compare the text for even more context. So who are the four horsemen? Who are these four horses and their riders? Well, they, they're major players in pain and suffering and death among humankind, and they're not good, and they're, they're not for you. Guys, we don't, we don't like these horses and their riders. And guess what? They've been around forever and they're already here. And I'm going to plainly say that I truly believe that these horses are already riding. This judgment has been unleashed already. Why? Because Revelation 6, 1 says, As I watched, the Lamb, who is Jesus, broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Guys, he, he already opened the scroll. We aren't waiting for him to open it. It has been opened. And so if you are one who is 
waiting for this literal time that's going to come where Jesus is going to open this scroll and begin to break these seals. We, we just cleared that up. The, the scroll has been opened. So let's walk through these details of Revelation 6 and let's look at each of these horses and what I believe based on scripture that they are and what they represent to us. And I will always say, guys, I'm not some revelation prophet. Okay. I don't claim to have this all figured out. I may be dead wrong, but the one thing I will stand on, I'll die on this hill. Everything that comes out of my mouth throughout this podcast is going to build you up. It's going to challenge you. It's going to encourage you. It's going to edify you. And it's going to be biblical. And I doubt when I get to heaven one day, the Lord's going to say, well, Salim, you know, you were wrong about those horses. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, you know what? You may have been wrong, but everything you said was on point. It was all scriptural. And you edified the body. You edified my bride. So let's, let's jump in. Verses 1 through 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. So this white horse, this horse represents the Antichrist. Yet, yes, there will be a final Antichrist, and this horse is not the final Antichrist. It is the Antichrist spirit. He imitates Jesus, but he isn't Jesus. Check out Matthew 24, 4-5, through 5, when Jesus says, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. This rider from Revelation 6, white horse, white robe, crown with a bow. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like the rider in Revelation 19 with a white horse, a white robe, a crown, and a sword. You see the difference? The rider from Revelation 6 is just slightly different. He has a bow. The rider from Revelation 19 has a sword. Isn't this just the way it is? Just blink and and you miss it. See, Revelation 19 is the real Jesus. This white horse and rider is a counterfeit. This is the Antichrist spirit. So what does the, 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 the Antichrist spirit look outside of the church? Well, outside of the church, the white horse functions like this. There are many ways to salvation. There are many ways that lead to God. There are many ways for you to unlock the scroll. There are many ways for you to figure out your purpose in life. What does it look like inside the church? Inside the church, it's just bad teaching of who Jesus is. It looks like heresy. And let's be clear, guys. The Antichrist spirit is inside the church and outside the church. You you might want to check out your church and verify everything. Guys, be like the Bereans. Don't just be believing people because they look cool and they they sound hip and they dress nice and they got the smoke and the lights and the music and the worship and they got a big following. Guys, that doesn't mean anything. I I always tell you to verify everything I'm saying. Don't just come around believing everything I say because I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Verify. Guys, check out 1 John 4, 2 through 3. It says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world. And look what John says. The Antichrist is here. The Antichrist spirit is here. Look at 2 John 1, 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess this coming, the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, 
such a one is a deceiver and, and the Antichrist. This is, this, see, this is addressing a specific heresy in the early church. Bottom line, the rider on the white horse is an imitation savior that has no real power to save. I mean, there is a way to believe in Jesus that has nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. I mean, guys, are you hearing this? Many today believe in Jesus, but have no clue who Jesus is. And this is why I tell you, open the word for yourself and stop relying on your pastor to feed you and sharpen you. Guys, your pastor isn't Jesus. Jesus created a way for you to have access to God. So go to God on your own. Friends, here's the reality. Anytime you shrink who Jesus is, anytime you take away or add to the cross, anytime you disregard the scriptures, you are moving away from the Jesus who came to reconcile you to God, the the Jesus of the Bible, and you're making up your own Jesus. And this is what the white horse brings. Confusion and chaos. And guys, it's running rampant. Verses three through four, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and out came another horse, bright red. And its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. The red horse, this horse represents war. It is, it is a red horse. It's bloody. It's violent. And Jesus told us of this coming horse, didn't he? I mean, check out Matthew 24, 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is is not yet. You and I, by nature, are bent towards war, aren't we? I mean, what happens is when, when rage and anger in the human spirit bubbles up and over, nations rage against nation and terrible bloody warfare happens. And so what happens to the red horse when you don't see nations rising against nations. Because there are times when you don't hear a lot about war going on. Is he still riding? Yes. The red horse is always riding 24-7. See, what's really happening is behind the scenes for a season, there's taunting going on. There's aggravating going on. There's pride all stirring up. All of this anger and rage in the hearts of men and women, which leads to what? It leads to war. And this horse is trampling all over our culture in this day and always has been, but nothing like now. I mean, look around. You tell me this horse isn't running wild. Anger and rage have become normalized. Hasn't it? I mean, have you ever heard of of rage rooms? I did a little research. They have rooms that you can pay and go and take a bat and beat the room to smithereens. I mean, they have one here in Jacksonville. It's called Unleash the Beast Rage Room. I mean, what? what? What is that? I mean, how sick is this? And friends, we think this is normal. Guys, this, this is not normal. It's not normal at all. And so what, what, this, what this is, is we go into a room and we, we, we're given a bat and we go and we beat everything to pieces. And then, and then what? We have all this rage and anger and we don't know what to do with it. So we, we can take a bat and just go beat whatever we want. But, but the rage and anger, what, what happens? It, it stays. I mean, maybe you feel better for a second, but then what? Guys, we're still broken. I mean, there's a root of this anger. And until we bring it to the feet of Jesus for true healing, we're, we're just coping. And this is what our society is doing. And no one takes responsibility for it. Uncontrolled anger and rage is running rampant. And this is what leads to violence and bloodshed and addiction and death. This is the red horse and its rider. 
And what is really happening is this. Truly underneath all of the rage and all of the anger, we just, we just feel sadness. And Satan is exploiting us and he's taking advantage of us. And this is not what Jesus has for us. Friends, Jesus offers peace. He offers life. He offers reconciliation. He offers mercy. So why do we reject him and, and choose the alternative? I mean, seriously, think about this question. Let it sink in. This red horse is real in everyone, including my, my life, including me. And, and we got to deal with it. Verses five through six, when he opened the, the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So this black horse, it is obvious biblically that this horse represents famine and scarcity. And Jesus told us of this coming horse as well. Check out Matthew 24, verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But as I said, there is something about this horse and this rider in Revelation 6, 6 that is very, um, it's, it's significant to me. I mean, listen to what's told to the black horse in this text. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay, so this, this kind of rationing is poverty rations. But I want you to bear with me in, in, in for a second. Could this mean that there is a rider on the black horse that represents famine and it's meant to take from the world what people actually need and leave for them what luxuries that they don't need. I mean, it's like setting up this reality that you and I don't have what we need to actually live the fullness of life. And in its place is an abundance of junk that can't bring us any kind of life. I mean, could this be? I mean, think about this. This is famine of the soul. And can't we agree that our souls are famished? This is you have everything you don't need and nothing that you desperately need. Are you catching that? Hear me again. You have everything you don't need and nothing that you desperately need. Guys, is this not in a, a very real way the banner over the world in which we live today? And the brutal fact is this. The average person living in a Western country increasingly has nothing to live for. He or she has little family, few friends, no neighborhood, no community, and certainly no Christ. He or she exists mostly as a ritual of economic activity, literally a number on a balance sheet. Human beings are literally puppets buying what the world is selling and has, has no clue that, that they're being killed softly. Guys, that is the rider on the black horse. Nothing you need, all the luxury you want. And we're just a cog in, in the economic engine. And no wonder we're despairing. No wonder we're so prone to anxiety and fear. No wonder depression marks our world. No wonder everyone is addicted to pills and alcohol and porn and, and you name it. No wonder people kill themselves. I mean, just look at the amount of celebrities that take their lives every single year. They have everything, yet they have nothing. And in the midst of all of their indulgence, they kill themselves. You know what this is? The black rider has come and our souls are famished. And we have the white rider over here saying, this way to life, this way to life. 
pointing us to false saviors that are no saviors at all. Meanwhile, our souls starve to death when Jesus is saying, hello, I have the bread, come and eat, come and be filled, come and sit at the table and eat with me. I'm inviting you, all are welcome. But we're so blinded by this black horse and rider and we're dead on the inside. And you know how many people I see walking around miserable, pursuing the endless quick fixes that they think will heal them? Guys, it's unbelievable. And meanwhile, I know the cure because Jesus has, has opened my eyes. And this is why I'm constantly sharing all that I share. That's why I'm doing this podcast. This is why I'm always telling you to come to Jesus and turn from the world. Guys, this is the black horse and its rider. Verses seven through eight. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, and I looked and behold a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. So this pale horse, this horse and its rider, it's bringing pestilence and disease and death. This last horse and its rider shows that there will be a tremendous death toll throughout history from the dictatorship of government, from, from war, from famine and other calamities. I mean, look at history and the amount of death this world has seen. Think about all the dictators in all of history, all the wars of, of history, all the disease of history, and tally up that death. Guys, that's a lot of death. And it's too numerous to wrap our minds around. And there is still much more to come. I mean, no wonder Jesus said of this time, for there will be greater anguish than at any time of, since the world began, and it will never be so great again. I mean, of course he speaks of the end, but not only the end, but life here on earth now. Remember, Jesus opened the scroll of judgment and woes and lamentation. This is the ultimate fate of humanity, and this fate has been unleashed on humanity. And remember, we invited this in by choosing sin. We gave up God's perfect design and chose this. So this pale horse and its rider, it brings death, and it brings it in a way that even mocks our medical innovation. I mean, think about our healthcare system and all the medical advancements. This horse and its rider, it mocks that. This horse and this rider mocks the sizes of our hospitals. It mocks the breadth of our technology. None of these advancements are beating this horse and its rider, my friends. This horse and rider is, is still undefeated when it comes to human beings. The only one that defeated this horse and rider is Jesus. Outside of him, undefeated. So in comes the pale rider bringing death with Hades following behind it. Guys, I can't drive this point home enough. Understand that these powers, they were given to these riders. And they were given to these riders by God. And though all hell breaks loose on this earth, God is very much in control. He is sovereign. He's not confused by any of this. So verses 9 through 14. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of the fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth and the fig, fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So not only do we have these four horses and their riders, but we have a few ancillary ones to mention. I mean, look at this text. 
Here comes the religious persecution and the natural calamities. Why are religious persecution and natural calamities ancillary and these four riders, horses and their riders, major players? Here's why. The four horses and their riders are true across human experience everywhere and always. They are always riding and they are always destroying and they are always bringing to bear what God told them to bring to bear on humankind. These two ancillaries, the religious persecution and the natural calamities, well, they're, they're bound to specific times and regions and places. And what I mean by that is look at how we just get up in America and we go to church where brothers and sisters in other places have to sneak to church in fear of losing their life. I mean, for God's sakes, I was hearing this story about this wedding going on in Egypt and a couple men rolled up and just shot, shot up the whole thing. And there was like, like 25 people got killed and a hundred people went to the hospital all because Christians gathered for a wedding. Can you imagine that happening here? But that's the reality of, of persecution in some areas and, and here in America, we've got it good. So we got religious persecution there, but not here. Or think about how earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and natural disasters strike in areas, but not in others. See, this is what this means. See, these ancillaries are small players compared to the four horses and their riders. Religious persecution and natural calamities are, again, bound to specific times and regions and places, while the Antichrist spirit, war, famine, death, they're everywhere, always. Verses 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Who on earth can stand? So in the light of the four horses and the riders, the persecution and the natural disasters, who can stand? Who is going to make it? Who's going to survive this? Who can save us? I mean, can kings and governments? Is Trump going to save us? No, no. Trump is going to be hiding in the caves. But how about those with great influence? All those celebrities and athletes that we worship. Brad Pitt? How about LeBron James? I mean, he's strong. He's big. How about Oprah? Man, she's powerful. That, that lady's got so much money, it's just crazy. She just controls so much. She's got all the, the accolades. I'm sure she could help us, right? Are they going to save us? No, no. Br Brad and LeBron and Oprah, they're, they're going to be hiding. How about our amazing army, our military? I mean, don't many of us tout our, our army as the most powerful army on earth? You mess with our army, man. We'll, we'll blow you off the, the planet. I mean, I've heard many of brothers say that. I've heard a lot of Christian brothers say that. Can they save us? No. But based on this text, all these leaders and these influencers and our powerful army, they're going to be hiding in caves, begging boulders to fall on them and kill them. And if you want me to just be honest, the truth is a lot of these I just mentioned are actually a few of the horses and their riders. And what do I mean by this? Well, think about our governmental leaders, all the people of great influence. Guys, they all serve the dragon and they bear the mark of the beast and they all, they all look to deceive us and get rich off of us. Guys, they're frauds, all of them. I mean, think about our army. Think about this. How do you fight war? How do, how do, you, how do you fight war with war? 
How do you beat war with war? You don't. You see how stupid this is? You see how anti-Christian this is? And we put our trust in this. Followers of Jesus, you put your hope in that? I mean, do we really think our army is going to keep us safe? Come on, guys. Enough of that. Guys, we have to come to a point when we realize this reality. So if we don't put our hope there, where do we put our hope? Because all the things we, we as people currently put our hope in, our government, influential people, our military, and whatever else you may be putting your hope in on this earth is going to be hiding in a cave crying out to die. And based on this text, we're, we're not to put our hope in anything worldly. So who do we put our hope in? Friends, it is the lamb who opened the scroll. It is the lion of the tribe of Judah who is coming soon. It is Jesus alone. That's it. Period. But this question still remains. Who on earth can stand? In light of the four horses and the riders, in light of the persecution, in light of the natural disasters, in light of the second coming of Jesus, this is the question asked in the last verse of Revelation 6. And we're going to take a deep dive into this question in the next few weeks on episodes 9 and 10. But let's briefly touch on this now to prepare us for what is to come before uh, the next two weeks because it's super important. Let's flip over to Revelation 7, 3 and, and let's read what it says. It says, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. So this, this text is essentially telling us that all the children of God throughout all the history have made it. They have endured. They have stood the test of time and are standing around the throne of God, worshiping him. Why? How? Well, by God's grace and his, and God's sealing by his mark. So who on earth can stand? We can saints. We can church. Look at what Revelation 7, 9 through 12 says. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might forever and ever. Amen. This is a picture of all of us standing around the throne in the future, singing and praising God. And we are victorious. Guys, this is a sure thing. The 144,000 standing around that throne, the great multitude, guys, that is a picture of the complete people of God of all time, worshiping after all this is said and done. Listen to this quote by Eugene Peterson. These people, this multitude from Revelation 7, who is us, are not only secure, they are exuberant. This is a curious but wholly biblical phenomenon. The most frightened or frightening representations of evil in Revelation 6. All that stuff we just read, guys, are set alongside ex ex extravagant praise in Revelation 7. Christians sing. They sing in the desert. They sing in the night. They sing in prison. They sing in the storm. Any evil, no matter how fearsome, is exposed as weak and pedantic before such songs. So guys, when this question is asked, who can stand in light of the four riders, 
Who can stand in light of the ancillary sorrows of religious persecution and natural disasters and calamities? John tells us, or better yet, Jesus tells us, my people can stand. And not only will they stand, but they will sing in the face of the riders. They will sing in the face of these horses and the riders and the persecution and the suffering. And guys, we can see this throughout history. The church was built on suffering and the church rejoiced in the midst of it. So we must sing and shout and rejoice louder than, than the sorrow. Why? Because we've been sealed by the spirit of God. We have nothing to fear. We don't have to sit here and soft sell the tribulation and the suffering that is to come, but we, we have hope and know that our God is victorious, which means we are victorious and no amount of suffering can stop us. Look at, look at Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Guys, this has a lot of meaning. And I hear this verse used to promote the importance of, of the spread of the gospel to hasten the day of the Lord's return. But I want to focus on another point that I feel this, this text brings up. Notice the fact that this comes right after Jesus told the disciples of what was to come. Jesus was telling them about the opening of, this, uh, of, of the, the seals. The breaking of the seals, the four riders, the persecution, the natural disasters, and all uh, that would be unleashed on this earth. So he had just told these disciples, imagine how terrifying it was for, for them to hear all about this. Put yourself in their shoes. And then what does Jesus do? He assures them that nothing will stop the gospel. Could he have been speaking of how Christianity would spread regardless of the four riders and the persecution and the natural disasters? Guys, he is saying the gospel will be proclaimed. It's a sure thing. And you need to understand that Jesus said this in the midst of the most powerful regimes, the Roman Empire ruling the world with an iron fist. I mean, you want to talk about the red horse running wild? The Roman army was powerful, it was brutal, and it killed anything in their way. And the church was one of those things. But look at the church, still growing, still advancing throughout history and, and, and today. Kingdoms have come and gone. They have risen and they have fallen, but the church of Christ is still spreading regardless of the enemy's best shot. No army, no government, no plague, no false doctrine has eradicated Jesus's movement. No one. You think it's going to get easier? No. Satan, Satan's only turning up the heat. So we must stand and face our trials and sing. So church, if we're going to be here and we're going to run this race. How do we handle these horses and their riders? How do we handle uh, persecution and disaster? Well, as this white horse rides, we, we proclaim salvation through faith alone. Will the world hate us for that? Yes, but that, that's not our problem. That's their problem. So get used to it. But let them hate us for Jesus, not because we're self-righteous jerks. We must proclaim that, uh, that, that Christ is the only way to God because Christ said he's the only way. Preach the whole counsel of God and share the true gospel, nothing else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And by the grace of God, we must embody the doctrine, not just know it. We must live it out. We must keep in mind that doctrine matters. We must be careful. Don't listen uh, to people who say that only faith matters or only dreams and visions matter or only belief matters. No, doctrine matters. And when you see it being pushed to the back burner, that is the white horse. But on the other side of the coin, some say that the only book that matters, as long as you know it uh, and know all the right answers, then you're good. 
I mean, this is also the white horse. We must understand that doctrine matters and we must live it and embody it. We must obey what the Bible commands. We must seek truth and love and rightly see Jesus for who he is, completely balanced. Guys, this is going to aggravate our enemies and it's going to lead to persecution. Um, but but that that's a good sign. If you're living a, a balanced life as a follower of Christ, you're you're going to see that. So what about as the red horse rides? How, how, do we, how do we combat that? Well, we want to receive the gospel of peace. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're not the best dad or, or the best mom that ever lived. You, you can accept that you fail at times. You're not the best Christian that has ever lived. Just breathe. Receive the gospel of peace. God loves you and he delights in you and he accepts you. And if you are one who snaps all the time and lives with rage and anger, that is a check engine light in your soul. So don't ignore it. We have to get, you know, get down in there and figure out why we're having these problems. What is the root of your anger? Pay attention to the inner man and protect it. Deal with it. Get help. Guys, I see a counselor every other week for my anger. Yes, as much as I love Jesus and follow him, I deal with anger, which leads to all sorts of issues. But the difference between me and most of the world is I'm dealing with it. I'm looking in the mirror. The Lord's helping me to put that to death. So guys, receive his peace. As this black black horse rides, we, we fight the black horse with, with radical hospitality and, and radical generosity. And we reject the scarcity mindset. We know our neighbors. We know their names, their, their stories, their situations. So we ask ourselves, do we, do we pray for our neighbors? Do we invite them over for dinner? I mean, guys, we don't fellowship anymore. And we're called to. I mean, how many of you pull in your garage after work and put that door down so quick that you don't, you know, this, you just so you don't have to talk to your neighbors. Guys, I'm guilty of that sometimes, but we have to stop that. We must be active, loving neighbors. I mean, how else are we going to spread the gospel if we stay selfish and, and we don't share our lives with the world? Guys, we got to be generous with our money. We got to be generous with our time and our resources. We've got to be the salt and the light that Jesus commanded us to be. And as this pale horse rides, we fight by, by praying with a great deal of faith that God's going to heal the physically sick. And we do this with an open hand. In other words, we, we pray expectantly, but accept his will and rejoice in the face of death. We, we fight by praying for our leaders, no matter what side of the aisle you stand on. We fight by hitting our knees and, and praying to the God who has the power to heal this land. And lastly, when it comes to the persecution and, and this, all this disaster, as we put our hope in Christ, period, we trust him. We, we follow him. We focus our attention on him and obey his every command. We continue to preach the gospel. We, we continue to rejoice in all of our suffering because we know that the present suffering is nothing in the grand scheme of eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus. And remember, he fights for us. Vengeance is his and he will vindicate us. So I say this, our confidence is in Christ, not in our strength and not in our circumstances. And most importantly, we must understand that, that we're in a fight, saints. And it is a fight for our souls. It's a fight for our family's souls. It's a fight for our community's souls. Answer this question honestly. Do you really understand this? That right now, there is a war going on for your soul. Guys, if we're going to fight this battle effectively, we must first grasp this and then learn to fight. This war is real and God has given us what we need uh, to wage, wage war against the enemy. He's given us his word. 
the ability to pray. He's given us the heart to repent. He's given us the opportunity to fellowship. He's given us the heart to be radically generous. He's given us a heart to love. Guys, remember, if you're a follower of Christ, he's taken out your heart of stone and he's given you a heart of flesh. Guys, this list of all the, 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 the weapons that he's given us, it goes on and on and on and on. Guys, we have to use these weapons that God's given us. So the question is, will you do it? My friends, guys, this is all for weeks. Uh, this week's episode of, of Straight Talk with Salim. So tune in next week for episode nine as, as we move into Revelation 7 and we, we read a chapter that is packed full with much to discuss, mainly the question at the end of chapter six that we're going to unpack thoroughly. I know we just talked about who on earth can stand and yes, it's us. We touched on it, but we got to unpack this for real because this one is, is going to be one of the most important parts of Revelation. It's going to carry us through to the end of the book. Revelation 7 is going to take a few weeks to get through, but there is so much to cover. We have looked at what, what was the, you know, what was on the scroll that Jesus opened and we can see what is in store for his church. And we will compare and, and, and I hope, um, also contrast a lot from revelation six and seven. So, so stay tuned. We're going to continue this journey and I hope you continue to join because there's so much more to see in this book that's going to equip you for your life in Christ. Church, we have so much to be excited about. Even in the face of, of, of trials, even in the face of tribulations. So this, this question, who on earth can stand? We can, saints. We can. So until next time, you guys take care. My friends, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Straight Talk with Salim. Remember that I love you with the love of Christ and I implore you to just passionately pursue Jesus with everything you have.